Um, I want us to be in prayer. This is a big week. You know, we'll mention some of your tasks might just be pouring punch. But hey, this is far bigger than just that role that you might have. Um, I was saved at, at VBS. My sister was. And there'll be children who come to know the Lord this week. So if you are serving, understand that your role is not just whatever that task is. You might be uh, leading another child to Christ. And so um, be in prayer for this week. Thank you for those who are serving. Thank you for those who are sending your kids and your grandkids. Uh, we're excited to, to see what God is going to do in the coming week. Um, church, we're going to continue in our movement series. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4 this morning. All right, Mark chapter 4, you can be turning there, scrolling there, turning on your device, however you access God's Word. Um, about five or six years ago, uh, my family, her Emily and I, my parents, uh, my sister, we, we had the opportunity to travel out west, and we went to visit uh, this giant hole in the ground, all right? Um, and I found out that about six million people go and visit this hole every year in the ground, right? Um, what am I talking about? Do you know? No. Yeah, it is. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the Grand Canyon, right? Now, who's been to the Grand Canyon? Anybody? Okay, a lot of people have been to the Grand Canyon. It's crazy, right? It's like, why do we spend our time and our, and our resources, our, our money to go and visit this ginormous hole? You know, but if you've not been there, maybe you've seen a picture of it and you might be like, yeah, I, I've seen it. It's, I don't really need to go out there. But all of us who have been there, we're like, no, you really do. Like, I can't explain it. I can't articulate why, but there's something about it, right? Because at the end of the day, it really is a big hole in the ground. But why do 6 million people go back? Every single year, because there's something else about it, right? There's something there. If you've been there, you know that when you stand at the rim and you stand uh, by that canyon, you can do nothing but simply gaze upon its magnificence, right? You can only behold its glory. There's something about it that leaves us standing in awe. You don't pull out a notebook and start taking notes about the Grand Canyon. You don't study it and analyze it and dissect it. You simply behold it. You enjoy it. You partake in its greatness. And every year people go back. It reveals something about humans, doesn't it? it? Reveals something about human beings, our souls, the condition of who we are. We want to stand in amazement. There's something uh, about that which captivates us that causes us to move in that direction. We follow after those things that we're in awe of, don't we? My question this morning is, what are you in awe of? What has captivated your heart, your soul, your mind? What amazes you? What are you standing in awe of this morning? Mark has a, a passage for us this morning at the very end of Mark 4. It's a familiar story about Jesus calming the storm, one that you've heard. But it's one of four that he tells in a row for us. All right, We're only looking at the first one, but you know, it's as if he's trying to get our attention. Because this morning he's showing us that Jesus... This God-man has power over the weather, right? Authority over nature. And then he shows us immediately after, he's got power over demons. And then it's power over disease. And then it's power over death with Jairus' daughter, right? And it's like Mark is saying, wake up, look at this man. This is God in the flesh. Church, we're at a point in our movement series where you and I should be standing in awe of what's taking place. Billy transitioned us last week into the New Testament, right? Which means... Emmanuel, like Kyle said and prayed, God with us. He's tabernacled among us. The king is here. He's not asking us to work harder to get to him. He came to us, and we ought to stand in awe of what's taking place. Uh, and Mark's trying to 
get our attention and say, look, look at this guy. He's got authority and power like you've never seen before. It reminds me of a scene in, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? C.S. Lewis, uh, when, when Susan and the kids find out they're about to meet Aslan, and Susan finds out that Aslan is a lion, and she says, a lion? Oh my goodness, is he safe? I'm, I'm rather nervous to meet a lion. And Mr. Beaver says, safe? Ha! Who said anything about safe? He's not safe, but he is good. He's the king. The Jesus of the Bible is not safe, but he is good. He's good, which means you can approach him this morning. He will receive you. You are approved in Christ. You are received and accepted and loved by Christ. He is good. He's a good king, but he's not safe. And I want you to also know that. He's not safe. He will completely disrupt your idea of who he is if it's not rooted in Scripture, right? If you've built some kind of other Jesus that's based more on culture or based more on context than on the Bible, he will disrupt that. He functions outside of our limitations and outside of our rationale, right? He is not safe. This man is God, and we should stand in awe of him. Let's read this morning, church. I want us to move forward standing in awe of the Jesus of the Bible. We follow after that which we stand in awe of. All right, Mark's going to help us here. The word of God in verse 35, chapter 4. On that day that when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. All right, just context for you. Uh, they're going east on the Sea of Galilee. All right, that's where they are. They're not, you know, in the Atlantic Ocean. They're Sea of Galilee going east toward uh, a Gentile region. Okay, you're going to start seeing, if you know your Bible, you're going to start seeing some parallels here with another story that involves a storm and a boat and some panicked sailors, right? Uh, Jonah. Jonah was also headed towards a, a Gentile region, right? So uh, have that in the back of your mind as you read this story, and, and we'll bring that back up later. But uh, there are a lot of similarities. So verse 36, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. All right, the stern is the back of the boat. You don't need to Google it. All right, I learned this when I was a child. My dad said, throw the, throw the rope on the stern. I'm like, do I look like I'm in the Navy? Like, what does that mean? You know, and he told me. So you don't need to worry. If you're not a sailor, that's what that is. All right, and they woke, and, or, and they woke him and said to him, teacher... Do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's focus in on that question for a moment, church. Who is this man? A bunch of guys who know who Jesus is are sitting there asking, who are you, right? A bunch of us have showed up this morning with an answer in our head about who this guy is, but I'm going to ask you to dig a little bit deeper this morning, right? The, this passage is going to show us that Jesus is both Lord and he is Savior, together, right? Some of us see Jesus as only Lord, so he's this tyrant who just dictates over our life, and we've got to make him happy or he'll punish us, right? Some of us just see him as savior, this cuddly shepherd man that we get to be nice with, right? But we don't have to surrender to him, but he is both. We stand in awe of him and we can be intimate with him. Awe and intimacy exist together with this God man. Who is this man? 
The disciples are standing in shock. What's going on? Mark says they're more afraid now than they were a minute ago in the storm. Right? The storm all of a sudden pales in comparison to the power of Christ. They're standing now thinking, what just happened? Because they've encountered a power that is greater than the power that they were just submitted to. And they stand in awe. It reminds me of a scene that I just saw. Um, a movie, I turned on the TV and the movie Back to the Future was on. All right, can we agree that that's like one of the greatest movies ever? Um, and it was the scene where Marty McFly was at the school dance uh, playing the guitar like he's Kyle Graham up there. Um, and he's playing this Chuck Berry song, right? And this, this song was ahead of its time, just by a few years, right? But the crowd loved it because they were familiar with that style, that genre. They liked that sound and they were dancing and singing and having a great time. But then he kind of goes into this like 80s rock vibe, right? Which some of y'all love the 80s rock style. Not really my thing, but he starts going all 80s rock on him and he's kicking over amps, you know, and, and he, he finishes a guitar solo and then what happens? He notices everybody is dead quiet. They're staring. They're shocked. They don't know how to process this. And they're simply asking, what's going on? Who is this guy? Right? And that's kind of how I picture the disciples right now. Just standing in shock. They have no idea how to process what's taking place. Who is this man that the sea and the wind obey him? This was the question Nicodemus had last week. Remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus and, and Billy led us through that? Ultimately, that's what he wanted to know. Who is this guy? He came to Jesus saying, only someone from God himself can do what you do. Right? There was a curiosity there that drew him in. He was standing in awe. You see it with Pontius Pilate even. In John 19, he kept asking Jesus, are you a king? Help me out here. Where are you from? The Bible says Pilate was afraid, right? Because there's something about Jesus that you can't articulate, but when you're in his presence, he commands your worship, your praise, your adoration. There's a fear that takes place, not because he's going to reach out and hit us, but because he is that more magnificent. He's that much greater than we are. Who is this man? Now, I know many of you have heard this story many times, and it's likely that you've heard this story uh, taught as Jesus being the man who delivers you from life's storms. Right? And that's true. That's a true statement. Okay? And it's right to believe that. He is capable. He has the authority to do that. He's certainly able to. But that's not the point of the story. It's not the point of why Mark records this. And if we make it the point of the story then we're in great danger of, of constructing a Jesus that just exists to uh, erase your problems and deliver you from any suffering that you may find yourself in, like he's some divine butler that comes when we ring the bell, right? Or some magic genie that just satisfies our need. No, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Read the New Testament. That is a foreign concept in the Bible. That's not who he is. And that's not what you actually need. See, the point of the story is not that Jesus delivers you from the storm. It's that he's present with you in it. He's in the boat, right? We love the fact that Jesus delivers them from the storm, but don't overlook the fact that he's the one who led them there in the first place. It was his idea. Let's go into uh, the Sea of Galilee, not around the outside. Let's go into it. And he, did, he, he went to sleep, right? Why? Because he's not afraid. There are things about God that you can only learn in the storm, church. And we like to spend our whole life avoiding storms, avoiding suffering, or numbing it with fill in the blank. 
All the while, we're missing out on the nearness and the beauty of Christ. Billy shared last week that his dad came to know Christ in an actual storm, right? In a hurricane, he received Christ. Do you think after that hurricane, Billy and his dad looked at the damage and said, man, I wish this never happened. No, they smiled. They rejoiced because in the storm, they found God. Church, don't spend your life running away from all of the hardships of life. Jesus is in the boat. He's with you. He's present. He gives us a promise in John 16, that we don't really like. What does he tell us? In this world, you will have tribulation. You will. But take heart, he says, I have overcome the world. This story really is a picture of that verse. So now that we have kind of the, the way in which we read the story, the point, the, the way to interpret it, right? We're not reading the story thinking, okay, get to the good part where he saves everybody, right? Get out of the hard part. No, no, no. We're reading it thinking he's in the boat. The point is that he's present with the disciples. He's not standing on the shore trying to calm the storm. He's with it. Uh, he's in the storm with them. He's with you. The God of the Bible dwells among us. So back into the narrative, into the story, Mark tells us, right, as probably told to him by Peter, verse 37, he says, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. So a massive storm comes upon them. Now these guys are not... uh, They're not new at this. These are experienced sailors and fishermen, right? They experience storms all the time, waves, the sea. They know their way around. It's not their first rodeo. Uh, If you want to see somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, go down to the Six Forks boat ramp, right? There's guys backing up trailers probably that started yesterday. They're still going today. I mean, that's those are the newbies. But but these guys, I just had to throw that in there. I see too many of them. These guys. This is no strange thing for them, right? They're, they're used to these storms, but this storm is different. This storm is worse than any that they've uh, been a part of. This storm causes them to fear for their lives. The Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level, all right? And, and around it are mountains that are about 9,000 feet tall. So you end up with this, this warm air and cold air mixture that brings forth these, these violent and sudden storms. Now, I've been in a storm where I have feared for my life. And I, I kind of am resonating with their panic here because they're, they're afraid. One day, I, I looked at my phone and the radar said, possible thunderstorms, severe thunderstorms and tornadoes. And I went and opened my door and I said, oh, it's blue sky. There's nothing there. It was blue. So I'm going to go for my run. I went for my run. And on the way back, the storm hit. Turns out it was one of the fastest moving storms Raleigh's ever had. Right? And it hit while I was outside and the rain started pouring. The wind picked up so violently that I could not even move forward. I couldn't see. I, I squinted my eyes and a trash can flew past me in the air. And that's when I knew I'm in danger. If, if that object can fly through the air, anything could strike me right now. A tree, a branch, whatever. And so I ran for cover. I found a place on a porch to, to hide. And then when the storm ceased and it stopped, um, not because I told it to, that would have been nice. But it, it died down, right? And I, I ran back out into my street. I was only a couple houses down from my house. And it was like a tornado had touched down. There's just a path of destruction. Ha- trees on my neighbor's houses, the trees behind them were gone, right? And it's, it's like, whoa, that's where I was about to be. And in the midst of that, I was terrified. So I'm, I'm, I'm sensing their panic. And I understand what it's like to be at the mercy of weather. You're completely 
helpless. And so how do they respond? Well, they lash out, don't they? Jesus, don't you care? Right? They lash out, but it's not in prayer and in faith. Right? Like you might expect the disciples of Jesus to, to do, right? Excuse me, Jesus. Can we pray about this storm? Right? They know Jesus, but they come and lash out in, in fear and panic, really. And we have that choice, don't we, church? Fear and panic or faith and prayer. I mean, we've been in a storm for about 15 months, right? If you haven't noticed, COVID-19 has really disrupted everything. Not to mention, you've got political issues. Uh, you've got racial issues. You've got, we've got our denominational uh, tensions this week, and we're gathering as an SBC convention. There's a lot going on, and I see a lot of panic and fear. Right? There's a lot of people responding in anger and hatred and ungodly behavior because they'd rather do anything than cling to Jesus in the boat. Right? We refuse to acknowledge that this is a God who dwells with us. He's in the boat. Come to him. Embrace him. And once you're in his arms, then you go and you work as a child of God. You don't have to work to become one. You work from one, as one. So they say, teacher, do you not care? Do not care that we're, that we're perishing? I find it to be an interesting question. Because you might expect them to run to Jesus and say, Jesus, get up, get up, get up. Think, look at this. Fix it. Hurry, hurry. Say the magic words, right? Whatever. Fix this problem. Hurry. But they don't. They actually reveal a deeper issue of the human condition, don't they? They ask a question that speaks Beyond just our immediate fears, our immediate problems, they get to the core of it. They're asking the question that a lot of you and I are asking if we're honest with ourselves. Do you really care? Do you really care? Do you really care what I'm going through? Right? Your greatest fear is not your problem that you're facing. It's whether or not you've been forgotten. Whether or not you've been abandoned. And if you have, then sure, go live reactionary. Go get angry at everything and do everything you can to preserve your way of life. But if you haven't been forgotten or abandoned, if Jesus is in the boat, then you've got nothing to be afraid of. You've got nothing, nothing to fear. You see, the reality is that the disciples in the boat knew. If they knew how loved they were, how accepted and approved they were in Jesus. If they knew how loved they were, they wouldn't have been scared. You're like, no, that's ridiculous. Anybody would panic in that moment. No, don't believe that lie. If you knew, church, if you knew how loved you were in Christ, you would have nothing to fear. Your fears go away. The other week, Emily, or excuse me, Ella, our three-year-old daughter, she had some kind of sickness i don't know she or he had a fever i don't know what it was but you know she wasn't feeling great and we said okay well we want to give you a little medicine um to help you right and i don't know if you've ever tried to give medicine to a toddler but it's one of the hardest things in the world to do right they just refuse so we tried and we reasoned with her ella this will help you sweetheart this will make your fever go away this will help you feel better just nothing refused completely right but then emily came over and, and gave her a hug gave her the medicine and she took it right? She wasn't interested in some explanation or some rationale. She didn't care about the problem. What she needed most was comfort. What she needed most was to be in the arms of her mommy or her daddy, right? And then from there, she was able to deal with that problem. You see, adults have it backwards. 
We grow up and somewhere along the way we think, okay, if I can just fix this problem or erase this problem, I'll find comfort. I'll find joy. I'll find satisfaction. But I got to deal with this first. But that's, that's why Jesus tells you to become like them. Adults, be like the kids, right? They've got it right. Run to his arms. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, right? And from that embrace and from that status as child of God, then your problems begin to pale in comparison to the power and the love that we have in Christ. So if you're wondering this morning, does he care? Does he really care that the story here gives you a resounding yes, he cares? Not because your circumstances show it, but because his presence within the circumstances show it. He cares. So Jesus then responds, right? He responds to their their question. They, they yell at him and they startle him. Mark reminds us that he awoke, right? He had to wake up out of his sleep. Now, I don't know if you've ever woken up a grown man, but it's never a pleasant thing, right? I don't know why that is. Grown men do not peacefully wake up. We're like grizzly bears, you know? As a kid, if I were scared in the middle of the night, I knew, go to mom's side of the bed, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen with dad. Um, and today in my house, that's how my kids are. They go to mom's side of the bed. I don't know, guys, we're just not pleasant when we wake up. So that's how I picture Jesus. Maybe he was pleasant, but I picture him a little like, okay, get out of the way. Let me go to the stern of the, or the, the bow of the boat, not the stern, all right? The bow of the boat. Maybe that happened, maybe not. But he awoke from his sleep because they were yelling at him. And he goes and he says, peace, be still. And he rebukes the weather and it listens and it obeys. He's saying to some of us, peace be still, and we won't even obey. Who are we to say no to Jesus? Right? Sometimes he says it to the storm. Sometimes he says it to you. In both cases, he is Lord, and in both cases, there is peace. Who are you to disobey that command? Peace, be still. You can. He is good. He's not safe, but he's good, and he's king. This is a miracle, isn't it? Can you imagine being a part of something like this, to see that unfold? We like that kind of Jesus, right? The one who just, boom, fixes it. That's fantastic. Thank you, Jesus. But the reality is, is that most of us don't want to be in positions that require that kind of miracle, right? We'd rather just spend our time numbing ourselves or running away from those hardships. Who wants to be in the middle of that storm and actually witness the miracle? We're not really willing to do that, are we? Have you ever noticed that every miracle in the Bible begins with a problem, a massive problem? Right? God's not performing miracles just to keep us interested and keep us turning the page, keep us buying tickets to the show. Right? He's performing miracles because there's brokenness that's everywhere. There's problems. A miracle is God's intervention, a supernatural immediate moment where he says, no, that's not how it's supposed to be. And when we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's how a miracle shows up. This is what heaven's like. That's not. So Jesus speaks this miracle over the storm, and it calms itself. Some of us this morning here are in, are in storms where we wish that would happen. We wish God would just fix the situation. But maybe God's saying to you, peace be still, right? He's in the boat. And you're looking for a way out, but he's just telling you, no, come to my arms. I'm here with you. Peace, be still. Some of you are in storms that, that don't really look like storms. Those are the scary ones, right? I was reading a book recently called Endurance, all right? It's a book uh, about the story of Ernest Shackleton. He was a man who took a crew of 27 other guys down to Antarctica. He wanted to be the first man to cross the continent of Antarctica. Um, you know, I'm like, 
why don't you just not do that? That sounds a lot better. <laughs> um, uh, but he took a boat down there, and um, as they made their way, as they got closer, they began to notice the, the ice caps and the icebergs surrounding them, and they, there became more and more of them. Um, and they kept going forward and moving forward. And before they knew it, those icebergs and ice caps have gotten so close to their boat that they had stopped. Before they knew it, it had frozen them in place. It happened slowly, but eventually they were completely stuck for two years. And the, the book is the journey of how these men went from that boat, which eventually was completely crushed and crumpled and sunken under this ice, to this journey where they basically floated on ice and found their way to land two years later. Incredible story. The point is, is that all storms do not look like this. Some storms are immediate and violent, scary. Some storms are slow and subtle. Some of us are on that path and we don't know it. When you leave this morning, ask your spouse, your friend, your neighbor, does it look like I'm headed on a path to destruction? Is my behavior godly? Am I, is my disposition Christ-like? Because if it's not, it's likely that those ice caps are coming around you and you don't realize it, so you're just panicking and you're responding in fear and reactionary hatred you need somebody else to say, listen, there's the things of the world are coming around you and you're trying to plow through it. Peace, be still. You can. Jesus said it. He's in the boat with you. Who is this man? Right? So he responds. We'll finish with these two questions, right? Because Jesus doesn't calm the storm and just go back to bed. He says, why are you afraid? Jesus asks a lot of obvious questions, doesn't he? But he does it for a purpose. Why are you afraid? He wants them to say it. Well, there's a storm and we're about to die. Yeah, say it. Put it out there. What are you afraid of? Stop letting Satan have a stronghold on that thing. Stop keeping it in the dark. Bring it to the light. He has no power in the light. What are you afraid of? Who are you afraid of? What do you fear? What paralyzes you? What's dictating you right now? Jesus wants you to speak that. But he doesn't leave that question up, right? He doesn't just walk away. He says, what about, where's your faith? Right? That's what he brings to the surface. Where's your faith? And he's not condemning them. right? He's not saying, well, you failed the test, guys. Get out of my sight. He's saying, no, 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 remember. Remember, guys? Where's your faith? You've seen me do miracles. I was with you every step of the way. I called you to myself. I chose this route. You've seen my goodness. You've seen my faithfulness. He's calling to mind his past faithfulness in their life. And he's saying, why are you scared in the present? You've seen what I've done in your life in the past. Do you really think I'm just going to let this boat sink now? Do you really think now I'm just going to let you go and abandon you and forget you? He's pointing them to his past faithfulness. And of course, then they don't even answer the questions. They don't say what they're afraid of. They don't tell, talk about their faith. Why? Because they're so awestruck. The Apostle John says when he encountered the Son of Man in Revelation 1, he fell down as if he were dead. He was so awestruck he couldn't physically function. That's who the Jesus of the Bible is. There is awe that he causes us to respond in, but there's also intimacy that he invites us into. He's not safe, but he is good. And you can come into his presence. Who is this man? Jesus tells us he's the greater Jonah, right? 
When you look in the story of Jonah, you see that Jonah, asleep in the boat, woken by the panicked sailors, had to throw himself into the sea to satisfy God's wrath. In this story, Jesus, asleep in the boat, awoken by the panicked sailors, doesn't throw himself into the sea. Because that's not the real problem at, at hand. He can just rebuke it. He can just say to it, stop. That's not why he came. He didn't come to deal with this little problem over here. He came to deal with the ultimate problem. And so he would eventually throw himself into the sea of God's wrath on the cross and satisfy what you and I need most, which is not a carefree life. It's to be cared for. And he cared for us by giving us salvation, his righteousness. He stood in our place. He's the greater Jonah. Church, I pray that as we leave here, we'd ask, continue asking the question, who is this man? Let it lead you to a place where you behold him. Not a place where you study him as a subject, but a place that leaves you in awe of who he is. And as we continue in our movement series, we continue now following this resurrected Savior. All right, let's pray together.